0: Welcome to the panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel. Here's today's moderator, Tom Tammen.
1: Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Laura Karup, Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Chessian Sivignanam is the Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation. Debbie Stevens is Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for Public Sector at Oracle. And let's start with the strategy that pretty much every agency finds it has to have as we move into this second phase, I would call it. Let's say it's cloud 2.0. The first 10 years took us to this point. Now we're really moving fast. And agencies are finding that pretty much multiple clouds are the way to get anything done in cloud. There's no single cloud that does all this. So let's talk about how you handle multiple clouds from a technology standpoint. There's interoperability if it's needed, connections. Uh, what, how does this generally work? Laura, we'll start with you.
2: Sure, I certainly the framework where we know that we're going to need multiple clouds and we want to, to plan ahead for what that might look like in the future, have the right ideas set for outcomes and incentives to help make sure as we're making technology decisions throughout the year, it's moving towards that strategy. Some of the things we keep in mind is certainly using managed services software as a service offers a great benefit to federal agencies. When that's not an option, we're going to have some cloud uh, service providers that follow the managed service provider as a platform as a service, and then certainly having infrastructure as a service available as a cloud capability. There's a place for all of those in our future cloud target state architecture. As we think through those, you can't treat every decision as a one-off, and it's not just technology decisions. Ultimately, it would be great if we knew exactly what the business requirements were. We could meet them in multiple places and could just make the technology decision, but oftentimes you can meet some business requirements here, different business requirements there, and then by moving that data, there's going to be a set of related applications or Mm -hmm. analytical tools that also need to use that same data. So, having a governance structure within the agency where we can tee these decisions up as a set of jointly related technology and business decisions to plan the sequencing is really important.
1: So, you might want to have tools and applications that run, that need to use the data that's in multiple clouds, even though those clouds might be doing other things in other instances, in other words.
2: Absolutely. And having conversations early on that hit on some of those in-state outcomes is really important. If you start planning for just one application, you can get really far down the road on planning before you stop to think about, well, wait, how do we want to use this data in the future? So knowing those key considerations and having those strategic conversations early in your planning process So then you can dig into the details with confidence for a particular cloud service provider is really important.
1: I imagine the cost of data motion when required from cloud to cloud or cloud down to agency is one of the considerations in planning.
2: Absolutely, and at the Securities and Exchange Commission, we've recently appointed a Chief Data Officer, as many agencies have following the legislation that was enacted last year. And we really see that planning as a partnership between the Chief Data Officer, the Business and the Office of Information Technology to make sure we're really thinking ahead for those needs.
1: Okay, and Chessie, in the uh, Office of Science, uh, National Science Foundation, a little different animal, uh, less operational, maybe more policy-oriented. Tell us your cloud strategy and how you rationalize that whole multiple cloud idea.
3: Sure. Um, National Science Foundation is a single mission agency, so we are, most of our IT is um, aligned with our mission uh, objectives, right? So we have strategy um, going into the cloud, um, like four main reasons. Um, Improve agility and um, uh, improve the resilience and the speed and delivery of IT services. Number two, consolidate all our digital assets and put them behind the high power power intelligence enabled services. And we know cloud is the best place to do that. And then the third one, obviously, is like uh, getting a seamless customer experience. This is our shared services strategy. You know, just want to make sure that the uh, customers who are going from one organization to another, they all get the same experience using some systems, right? So and then the last one is shifting our uh, workforce to focus more on the mission. And then um, you, know, um, you know, there are better people in the world who, may, uh, who, who does a good job managing data center, patching servers. So we want to let them do their job, and then we focus on uh, the mission thing. So with, those are a high-level strategy. With respect to how we rationalize um, um, the, um, the services, let me begin with. There are three places we usually look at. The investment levels, IT services level, and the technology level. Mm-hmm. And the investment level, mostly, we want to make sure um, all these investments are strategically connected with these objectives. Um, at the services level, you know that's when we uh, look at look for like you know any service that we are planning to move to the cloud. We look at it. SaaS service is that the best place to go first. If not, then platform, and then the very last we do is infrastructure as a service. But when we do infrastructure as a service, we have a strategy to break these monolithic applications into, uh, you know, the uh, the microservices <coughs> platform to make sure we build agility and speed into that because that's when you're going to take advantage of the cloud, right? And then at the tools level, yeah, you know, gone those days when we managed our reference architecture the technical reference. Uh, models where uh, you know we try to rationalize only on the cost basis. We don't want multiple redundant tools. Now it's very different because you can just buy on demand and cost a lot less than what it used to be in the future in the past, right? So what we do is we built a um, engineering review board under our change management process. So that group has representation from cybersecurity, infrastructure applications, enterprise architecture. So we uh, let every change go through that, and we manage a technical reference model to really rationalize the tools level. So that's at a high level how a rationalization plan works.
1: When you are moving applications uh-huh. and data to the cloud, and cloud service providers will be your .IT, that doesn't get the agency absolved from having to have good, solid architectural approach. So mm-hmm. what you're developing and deploying.
3: Right, right. So, from that uh, model, what we did was we know, like going back to Laura's point, so, not one provider is going to give everything for us. We need, uh, and today somebody may be good in the industry, tomorrow they're not, right? So, we need to have clearly an exit strategy. So, we're building a, uh, a multi-cloud architecture with a cross-connect uh, uh, layout, uh, where uh, the cross-connect layout enables us to uh, buy services from multi providers, right? Uh, with respect to data, to your point, uh, we want to also make sure uh, there is a clear exit strategy from each of these providers because um, uh, the the architecture that we built kind of allows us to take uh, software sand-based replication, take our data from one provider and then put it on the other, right? So, in uh, this way, I mean, the future we are looking at. Uh, you know, uh, when we move our data, I mean, we did this exercise two years ago when we moved from Boston to uh, Alexandria, we moved servers. It's not going to be the case in the future, we'll be moving data. So we won't be uh, uh, dealing with physical hardware. So we want to make sure this architecture is set up and also, more importantly, confined with the federal cybersecurity standards.
1: Okay. Debbie, how are things at USPTO? Active- and just to sh- just to illustrate how fast your data is growing, less than two years ago, I attended the ceremonies for the 10 millionth patent off- issued by the United States. And just a few months ago, 10,500,000. Uh, 10, so the pace of activity is increasing for the USPTO. And so I guess your data is going right along with it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we're at uh, around 10600000 um, for their utility-based patents, for sure. And uh, for the USPTO, our journey is uh, maybe a little bit different. I think Laura and, and Chesney both mentioned the data aspect, so did you. Uh, we approach the cloud as, as uh, a business decision first and a technical fit for purpose Second, So our strategy is certainly uh, engulfed in uh, data that we have to make hold private for a certain amount of time. Um, That's in our pre-grant publication time frame of, you know, 18 months from uh, earliest effective filing date. And then once it is uh, past that 18 months and and or. Uh, issued as a, as a patent, matured to a patent, then that data becomes publicly available. So in in our strategy, it's clearly focused on the, the business and the data aspect, the data ownership. Uh, I think Laura mentioned having a chief data officer. Uh, we're, we're in tune with that at the USPTO as well, understanding the relationship between the, the data and the technical fit for either... Uh, multi-cloud, or uh, a variety of on-prem solutions. So for us, uh, the the assessment of our inventory by application is key, uh, because again, looking at it from a business and technical fit, what will make sense for some of our applications, we know uh, already that Perhaps the cloud is not the solution. And then how do we make it uh, more secure, more resilient uh, disaster recovery? So we have those, uh, we'll say them, challenges or opportunities to uh, work through, but uh, we're, we're engaged, we're excited about the, the journey and the path forward and, and looking to collaborate with our business as well as our industry partners uh, when, when we're ready.
1: All right, so Steve, tell us from the Oracle standpoint, the original on-premise data center type of company, <laughs> uh, now a cloud provider, and doing all those other things, looking across the government set that you deal with, what does it look like from your standpoint with respect to how agencies are rationalizing all of their resources and mapping them across multiple clouds?
5: Sure, and Tom, I like the way that you framed this early on, that in a sense, we're all entering the second decade of cloud computing. In the early days, a lot of federal agencies had a vision and a hope that they would be able to choose a single cloud provider, be able to quickly shut down the data centers and move everything to that single cloud provider. In reality, what federal agencies are finding is that they have a set of diverse requirements. And in some cases, they need to go to a set of multiple cloud providers where each cloud provider is kind of what you might call fit for purpose. Some are more designed for, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Others may be more focused on enterprise applications, data warehousing. And so there are a few strategies that we've seen federal agencies take. Um, number one, um, and this will sound simplistic, but it's something that's very important, which is look at your particular workloads. Is You know, there's a wide variety of cloud providers out there, and they specialize in some cases in different areas. Look at your requirements. You know, what are your back office applications? What are your... Um, data management requirements and choose and, and take into account very much your specific requirements when you're choosing cloud service providers. A second thing, and this gets to, the, to, the, to the, your question around multiple cloud service providers is that look for cloud service providers that have cooperative relationships with other cloud service providers. If they do that, it makes your job so much easier rather than having the cloud service providers pointing fingers at each other. Related to that is data will have to flow from one cloud into another cloud if you have a, an architecture where maybe the, the application is in cloud one and the database is in cloud two, just as an example. Mm-hmm. And so look for cloud providers that have high speed and highly reliable telecommunication infrastructures because you will benefit from that. And then the fourth thing, and the last one I'll mention, and this goes back to what several other people mentioned here before, which is, and I I like to use kind of a marble technology here. Imagine you have a set of stairs that has four steps. Top is software as a service, second is platform, third is infrastructure as a service, and fourth is your on-premise data centers. And let's say that you have a basket of marbles and each one of those marbles represents a workload. What we are suggesting people do is don't start at the bottom with infrastructure as a service. Instead, start at the top. Take your marble and let it drop down and say, is software as a service a good fit for this? If it is, stop there. That's the fastest way for you to bring that capability to the table to your end users. If it's not, let the marble fall down to platform as a service. Maybe there's a good fit there. If not, you can use infrastructure as a service. It just means that more of the responsibility, more of the burden Mm -hmm. is on your staff, rather than moving that to the cloud service provider.
1: Yeah, I guess that becoming a CIO or a CDO is a good way to lose your marbles, right? (laughs) (laughs) What you're trying to say in a a nice way here. But uh, that idea of looking at the applications first, and we'll get into this more after the break, but before we do, maybe we can start to discuss a little bit about how you do choose the applications because I think there's almost nobody now still that is not with email and collaboration tools of one form or another in the cloud. So looking across the application set, How do you begin that rationalization?
2: That's a great question. Cloud can offer several different possibilities for applications. If you're moving to software as a service, it could be an opportunity to simplify and standardize. could also be an opportunity to reinvent, to break up a monolith and focus on building out services in an innovative way. So as you look across all those possibilities, you need a framework. The thing that I like to think about is if you look at our entire application portfolio, all the emerging business needs, we don't want to spend our effort and energy innovating equally across everything. We don't really need to innovate on email. We don't really need to innovate on workflow tracking tools or correspondence tracking tools. So for our agency, one of the areas we want to really focus on innovation is around big data analytics and moving from a model where we're looking at individual forms that come into the SEC to more machine learning, risk-based analytics across a larger set of data. So how can we make sure our applications and our IT investments are going to unlock new possibilities in that space? Mm -hmm. So that means taking the part of our application portfolio where we don't need to differentiate, we don't need to experiment and innovate, trying to move those to software-as-a-service providers, and then in a platform or infrastructure-as-a-service environment, looking at how we can really support experimentation and innovation in those areas where we have unique questions to answer.
1: And just a quick follow-up on that before we go to the break. A lot of agencies are trying to get away from the yesterday approach of amassing all the data possible and then analyzing it that gets cumbersome and expensive, whether it's on premise or in a cloud or anywhere. Data is just bulky. Are you also looking at ways of rationalizing the data such that you can use the cloud more efficiently and look for the anomalies and not have to search for some trend in all the possible data ever coming into the SEC?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The thing that we need to do at the SEC is really sit with our expert staff who work with data on a daily basis and understand their needs. There are certain data sources uh, that no matter the work that they're doing, they're going to need available as reference data. They don't need access to all the data within the SEC, but they do need very specific mm-hmm. things that are gonna drive some of our requirements around integration. So understanding the mission need first, understanding our business application owners, our data scientists, what they need to do their job, that's the place to start.
1: All right, we'll get into this with the other panelists, but first we're gonna take a short break here. My guests today are Laura Kurup, Chief. Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Chesian Sivignanam is the Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation. Debbie Stevens, Deputy Chief Information Officer at U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for Public Sector at Oracle. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel, here on Federal News Network. At
0: Oracle... We know, cloud migration doesn't happen with the flip of a switch. It's a journey with multiple paths and services deployed over time. Today, Oracle offers a completely new cloud. Our enterprise Gen 2 cloud provides service-level agreements that allow federal agencies to achieve predictable cost and performance. And a cloud without guarantees is simply too risky. Learn more about Oracle's Gen 2 cloud and its FedRAMP-authorized solutions at oracle.com govcloud.
1: Welcome back to our discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel, here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Laura Karup. She's the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Chesian Sivignanam is the Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation. Debbie Stevens is Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for the Public Sector at Oracle. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about the process of choosing the right applications for the right purpose-built cloud and the data considerations that go along with that. And Chesian, why don't we pick up with you on that same topic?
3: Sure. Uh, at the foundation uh, of strategies, um, you know, moving our data center. I mean, we have we used to have two data centers, and today we have, we have consolidated into one, and then now we are just moving everything to the cloud and transforming our data center more like a, Computer facility for the managing the building services. That's our not strategy. Not into a so gym.
1: You're not going to make it into a cafeteria. Uh, or a gym? Yeah, of course. No. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, from that angle, we are uh, taking each of these services we um, uh, that we support, and then we're trying to see how what is the best fit going into the cloud. So obviously, the marble analogy uh, it, it works very well for us. You know, we obviously look for a software as a service. That's our first bet. You know, so we want to make sure it's a seamless transition and also we want really the industry really take it um, with the innovation, you know, emails like, you know, service management, those kind of things, right? And then also, uh, we are also uh, aligned with our, the president's management agenda, which is really moving to shared services. That's really with our mission support services like finance, HR and administrative Mm -hmm. services. Um, Because we want to make sure it is uh, going to the place where that is best managed, like Treasury, which probably is going to do wonderful things with finance management, or GSA and OPM, they're championing the HR service. That's our second thing.
1: So in other words, offload a lot of stuff you might have done in the first place, so you don't even have to worry about where it goes, just you get it from the other agency.
3: Right, exactly, (coughs) exactly. And then um, the next one is really looking at platform services. The platform services, why it is important here is we have a strategy to, um, you know, uh, uh, empower our end users by giving a lot of self-service capabilities. And that's what the platform services brings in. Um, And especially when you're trying to give like a, you know, business intelligence service or a collaboration service, you know, these uh, platform services where you have a lot of innovative things going on and also building the architecture that integrates with other uh, wonderful Mm -hmm. things happening across the industry. So the platform services really brings that capability. So that's our next uh, layer. And then finally, the third one is really the custom applications. The custom applications, we have huge challenge right? because uh, we know the demand on one side is is growing all the time because uh, it's a changing world and the requirements uh, are hitting us so fast and we have to deliver service in high-speed capacity. Uh, on the other side, we have this huge monolithic applications, right? And then we are not able to meet the demand. So the goal here is to break those big monolithic applications into uh, microservices where we can plug in uh, the continuous integration or continuous delivery, this bringing the speed and delivering those services, right? But if
1: those, if those applications were not originally made in that way, if they're legacy right. code, how do you get to the microservices and container kind of world from from the, for lack of a better word, the COBOL era,
3: right. So the format that we use is more like the scale agile format, right. So uh, we are the, the investments that we have architecture are continuous modernization initiatives. So we get like a flat funding on specific initiative. It has a multi year uh, uh, roadmap, mm-hmm. and then we it, it the whole investment is tightly integrated with our governance which brings the uh, customers and the developers very closely with each other, and they meet on a biweekly basis. So when the requirements are provided, the thing is we have to make sure these changes happen much faster, and that's where this thing comes in, like how you're enabling the DevSecOps platform and building these microservices and having them delivered in in a much faster rate. So, uh, and that's where we look for cloud native applications. So we want to make sure the cloud where we are, uh, the provider where we are going, has this best capability of giving these services, and also uh, looking at the market cap, you know, where we can get those skills easily and plug them in. Mm -hmm. And then also when we are talking about scaled agile, it's bigger teams. You know, we are talking about 500 plus contractors working with many different applications with the customers, right? So we need to make sure this, this thing is scalable. So those are the three things we mainly focus
1: on as we move to the cloud. All right. Well, that sounds like it keeps you busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Frankly. Very busy. <laughs> three things <laughs> Need a lot. A lot of help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie?
4: Sure. Uh, so for, for the USPTO, i certainly echo what Chazian said about the monolith and uh, uh, tightly coupled applications, custom applications that we have that are probably the most uh, difficult to uh, navigate to to the cloud for us uh, certainly for us we are a highly um, productive uh, performance-based organization both on patents and the trademark side so uh, it's it's very important and picking up on our last segment about the data and image availability to our End users, so performance and the data and the availability of data and image to our end users is really important. So when we think about uh, the, the, we'll say, the migration from the monolith applications, uh, not only in terms of what Chesney said about uh, the microservice uh, aspect, we also have to think about the, the performance uh, we have. Um, and
1: when you say images, you mean pictures, artwork a- ab- for, patent so for, okay. for patent examiners. Um, absolutely. So
4: for patent examiners, they come in in forms of uh, design, mechanical, um, chemical drawings. Right. So those are, we, we refer to those as um, image flip rates in the trademark. Examining attorney world, they are um, pictures of your trademarks that you know mm-hmm. and uh, experience every, every day. So those are images, and those need to be um, cycled through and examined at a very highly, um, uh, at a very high rate uh, for the examiners to maintain their productivity. So I would say that in 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 the USPTO the. The key for our cloud strategy is certainly uh, wrapped around, as I said before, about the business, the data, um, the image, and the performance of that. That's very uh, key for us, as well as, as you can imagine, uh, my colleagues as well, um, the security aspect for us. So uh, whether or not we will choose to put certain data at a certain time in the life cycle of either a patent or trademark prosecution will be telling. So when uh, my colleagues here mentioned about maybe different cloud providers, number one, and different, maybe having the application on a cloud, the database on a cloud, and maybe the data itself in another cloud, perhaps that might be a a good strategy for us.
1: Yeah, so Steve, how do agencies, what's the best strategy for that? Because they do have the, the availability of shared services. They do have the monolithic and I think the bonded applications where the database and the application were kind of developed as a whole, those are hard to kind of pry out and get the flexibility of cloud.
5: Yeah, I think as an industry, we've all been um, looking at which architectures are optimal in the cloud. And early on, one of the things that we always said is that you would not want to separate components to different clouds because, for performance reasons, for a variety of reasons. In reality actually what we found is if you architect it properly it can actually work fine. Um, there is you know some responsibility you have to look at what are your performance requirements, what bandwidth exists from one cloud to another, but it is it is doable. So I guess my point there is that that's not an op- that's not an option that you should take off the table. You should at least consider that mm-hmm. as one option. More broadly, you know your your initial question here was selection of workloads, how do agencies decide where to focus their attention? And one of the really important prerequisites that we've seen federal agencies do is rationalizing their portfolio. Rationalizing essentially meaning reducing. Mm-hmm. And, and three areas I wanted to focus on there that I would encourage you know, any federal agency to look at. Rationalizing applications, rationalizing technology, and actually rationalizing your vendor community. And I'll talk briefly about what I mean by each of them. As far as applications are concerned, you know, part of my role is working with federal agencies on baselining their, archi- their portfolio of assets today before moving to the cloud. And in the area of applications, one of the things that we frequently see is a lot of replication. We might, you know, one agency might have three different customer relationship management systems and two different call center systems mm-hmm. and five different budgeting systems because traditionally those grew up independently of each other. And you could move all that to the cloud, but you don't have to. And so, one of the things that a lot of federal agencies are doing is seeing the move to the cloud as an opportunity to step back and say, what do we want to carry forward into the cloud? A similar thing exists in the area of the underlying technology. Um, And so, I'll mention data management since that's an area that we focus on a lot. There's a lot of variety of data these days. There's relational data, there's non-relational data, there's structured information, unstructured information, batch data, streaming data. and there has been, um, there's been some focus on saying that you should have a different technology solution for each one of those different types of data but there is an alternative solution which is to have a converged <laughs> data platform that through one tool is able to handle all of those use cases through different kinds of subcomponents. and so that's another type of, of rationalization of your data tier is get rid of du- duplicative technologies and then the last one I'll mention mm-hmm is at, a more of a, at more of a meta level, the actual vendors that you're working with itself is that you know most federal agencies are working with many different vendors bef- because of the underlying technology and the applications, but some vendors have suites of technology, suites of applications, suites of underlying technology, and if those technologies and if those applications meet your requirements, going to a smaller number of vendors that include suites just simplifies your interaction with the vendor
1: community. All right, and uh, which brings up the question of what you do with remaining data centers if you have them still in your agency. I think, uh, Chesians, you're you're turning yours into a place to operate the building from so that there will be no data center for the National Science Foundation. Uh, But, uh, Debbie, what about the USPTO? You still have data centers. How do you make them, So, in a sense, you would make them match the cloud rather than the other way around?
4: Yeah, I think um, for us, it. It will clearly be a a hybrid uh, data center with with hopefully many of our applications uh, taking advantage of the cloud and and the and the capabilities there. Uh, we certainly feel that that as a result of this uh, journey, it will reduce our data center footprint uh, and. Uh, I think Cheslin was gonna, or someone said maybe make a gym out of theirs. Uh, that we, was my idea. Not okay, my ideas, <laughs> okay. We we actually have some future thoughts about that. Uh, we are are embarking on a on a uh, IT transformation that is truly, as Cheslin mentioned, uh, using uh, safe or the scaled agile uh, framework approach. But we are we are uh, currently engaging agile pilot teams co-location. So we could certainly use some of that data uh, center space that has been recouped or will be recouped in that type of agile uh, experience for our teams to get our teams uh, co-located because we feel that that will drive uh, the the value not only for uh, IT and the technology going forward, but also the uh, business capability.
1: So, so some development might actually move into that physical space.
4: Ab- absolutely. We're thinking uh, there's certainly n- not loss on us in, in the Alexandria uh, c- corridor that, that uh, real estate is, is an uh, essential Precious. commodity. Yes, and uh, we would definitely want to take advantage of that.
1: Sure. And, Laura, you, you're going to still operate data centers also.
4: Certainly, so I, look like? as part of our
2: iTree transformation, also looking at a hybrid environment for some time. And for us, it really comes out of thinking about the long-term strategy. So there are applications where we may be continuing to develop them and enhance them. In the long run, we want to get them in the cloud environment, but because of data or other requirements, in the short run, it's not the right fit. So we're looking at where we can use containerization, other technologies to make that portability easier in the future, mm-hmm. where that's cost-effective for us.
1: Okay, but you will still have data centers as you go forward. Yes. All right. And the idea of rationalizing applications, I think, as Steve mentioned, is it can be a tough thing for agencies. How, how do you convince people, yeah, you really don't need this anymore because this is an age-old problem. You turn off something and see who screams and very often it's one or small group and you can serve them in some other way.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll start and I'd love to hear uh, yeah. from my colleagues as well. I, it, is a, it is difficult and, and I would say it's difficult emotionally and politically. It's not difficult technically, right? So the emotional part of it is that, you know, in, many federal, in most federal agencies, there's a set of bureaus or, or kind of sub-agencies that operate somewhat independently, somewhat autonomously and in some cases, historically, they've been allowed to make their own decisions. And when you rationalize, it becomes a discussion around kind of power and authority. Like, are, are you taking away the power from that bureau to make its own decision going forward? Um, the other element of that is customizations. So when in the on-premise world, agencies deployed traditional licensed software, they would often hire contractors to make a lot of customizations mm-hmm. to make it meet the unique requirements of that bureau or that department. And when you move to software as a service, where it's a multi-tenant solution, you have to think hard about are, you know, which customizations are requirements versus which ones are you willing to walk away from in order to gain the benefits of, of a shared solution.
1: All right, on that note, we're going to take our second break, and we'll be right back after this one. My guests today are Laura Karup, Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Chezian Sivignanam, he's Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation. Debbie Stevens is Deputy Chief Information Officer at U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for Public Sector at Oracle. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This discussion is The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel, here on Federal News Network.
0: At Oracle, we know cloud migration doesn't happen with the flip of a switch. It's a journey with multiple paths and services deployed over time. Today, Oracle offers a completely new cloud. Our enterprise Gen 2 cloud provides service-level agreements that allow federal agencies to achieve predictable cost and performance. And a cloud without guarantees is simply too risky. Learn more about Oracle's Gen 2 cloud and its FedRAMP-authorized solutions at oracle.com govcloud.
1: Welcome back to our discussion, Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud, Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for Public Sector at Oracle. Debbie Stevens is Deputy Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Chesian Sivignanam is the Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation. And Laura Karup is Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And before the break, our topic was application rationalization. And why don't we continue on that? Because I think everybody has pretty strong feelings about that as a requisite to really successful cloud deployment. And so, uh, Debbie, why don't we start with you?
4: Sure. I would would start with uh, the end user, and that seems like an odd place, but I think uh, one of the colleagues here had said, why do people want to hold on to a particular application, even though it might feel like, it's end of life, and, and it should be in a, a different state. And I think for us in the USPTO, because we have somewhat heavily uh, custom apps, uh, that tendency to hold on to the application, even though the end mm-hmm. of life is probably past, mm-hmm. and they're still trying to understand... How do they bridge to the next uh, state? So I think uh, starting with the end user and understanding from a pure customer or stakeholder relationship can really help uh, the IT uh, understand what bridge they need to build to get them there. I think uh, as, as scary as change is and as scary as IT transformations that the agencies are undertaking, uh, most people want to grow and and go to the next state uh, they just need tr- uh, I'll say help mm-hmm. seeing it and seeing that their job and I'll think about it in the terms of the data center because I think in our uh, arena in particular we talked about earlier about, Perhaps the data center's shrinking, but that doesn't mean the job is going away. In fact, we want to reskill skill the, the team there into the new uh, ways of working. And I think also the stakeholders need to see that too, and then they'd be willing to let go. And that's been our approach. And uh, So
1: to make an analogy, then, one of the jobs of IT then is to, just as you had server huggers, Make them understand it's not the server they want, it's the computing capacity. Absolutely. and that could be anywhere to the people that use applications to convince them it's not that application set that code you need, it's some function that you're trying to do to get your job done.
4: Absolutely. it's, it's focusing on the outcome and the capabilities that will drive and provide, as I call it, the bridge to the, to the new either the new way of working or the, or the new cloud strategy.
1: Sure, Chesian application rationalization? and
4: So uh, at the
3: foundation, uh, we're like I said, we're a single mission agency. So we don't have the bigger problem like duplication of services. We are dealing with a different set of problems, right? So, for example, it's really the multi-cloud environment now. So, for, um, you know, financial system is already on the cloud, the shared service provider. Now the same group wants to, for example, do a budget system, right? The question is, where do you want to put it? You know, so you want to put it closer to the financial system or you want to have your own cloud? So how do you make this kind of additions, right? So we use the governance process, really. You know, it's a custom addition. The first question we ask is, are you guys OK with the data being in two different places? How, how is it going to help your business? You know, we start asking these questions and it really helps the customer come to the conclusion where it would be the right fit. End of the day, if they decide to put it in two different places for specific reasons, we are with them. So it's really a customer addition and we have the solid governance process design which is really working well for us in this.
1: And I guess there again, if you have two applications that might interrelate in different locations, it's not the locations that are the issue, is can you do it without latency?
3: Right. It's latency and it's the data. The data, I mean mm-hmm. everything is data centric in the in the cloud era. I mean we used to have in the olden days it's more network, you know, on prem there's data center kind of thing. Now it's all about data. It doesn't matter where the data is but you need to have a centralized access to them and that is the key.
1: And let's face it when everything was centralized in the data center you could still have latency problems as right. the disk got all fragmented over the years it was just as slow as some of the clouds are. Well, we've talked a lot about application rationalization and and also new architectures, new governance strategies, whole new IT strategies. I guess we need to really discuss the kind of people and talent uh, that we are talking about. I think, Debbie, you mentioned you know reskilling. So, what are what's your human capital thinking as you approach the multiple cloud world of IT? Anybody?
2: I'll jump in. I actually think application rationalization and planning for the cloud highlights some of the new skills mm-hmm. that we need within IT. With managed service providers, I like to think that IT needs to make sure we're educated customers, right? We're now going to be purchasing things that used to be done either in-house by federal staff or contractors, but we need to know enough to make sure we can still translate between business needs and objectives and the managed service that we're purchasing. We also need new soft skills in terms of service design, human-centered design, to help our business customers make these transitions. If you're looking at application rationalization, there's a value proposition for the end user, which is, I now am probably gonna have better user experience. I'm gonna get more frequent updates. But I'm going to have to give up some of this tightly coupled, mm-hmm. highly customized functionality. That's going to involve business process reengineering, and it's going to involve change management to make sure that's successful. And we need to be partners in a process where we can make a set of interrelated business and technology decisions and help chart that path as opposed to just thinking about all these technology choices as one-offs.
1: Yeah, that user experience idea we tend to think of as something for the deployed public applications but is it also true for the internal applications that your own staff will use?
2: Absolutely, and in the past when we've done modernization efforts, we, we you have these large monoliths, and you say, okay, we're gonna put this on this bright, shiny new stack, all our problems will be solved, and then they kick off by sitting down with the end users and saying, well, what are your requirements? And the end user says, Well, I have a drop-down box here that sends it to Susie, and I have a drop-down box here that sends it to Joe, and then we rebuild all of that on this bright, shiny new stack. And we don't really get the promise that we could have out of this effort. Now that we're moving to cloud and breaking up these larger monoliths into smaller services and systems, really working with end users to understand that underlying objective and being able to think creatively about re-engineering the process as we re-engineer the technology is really important. Steve.
5: So I'd echo one of the things that Laura mentioned about, it's a combination of hard skills and soft skills. That's certainly what we're seeing. Um, and I, I think of it in terms of technology skills and non-technology skills. So in the area of technology, you know, things like overall architecture, we, we've always had enterprise architects, but that's, that's even more important in the cloud era than it was before because you need to have someone who understands both traditional architecture on-premise because some of that still exists and has an appreciation for the new architecture in the cloud. Application development is another is another skill area. Application in, in development in the cloud, especially if you do things involving microservices, machine learning, analytics, that's a very different skill set than what a lot of federal agencies traditionally had. So that would be another area to focus. Migration is a very important um, and migrate. You know, migrating workloads can be very workload specific. You know, how you migrate a Peoplesoft application may be different than how you would migrate an SAP application or. And so having the right people who have not just general purpose knowledge but actual experience having migrated those workloads that can make the difference between success or failure in the non-technical area two um, two skill sets that i think are increasingly important are financial analysis and vendor management financial analysis because the way that you fund investments in the cloud is very different than the way that you traditionally funded investments in an on-premise data center you know on-premise you would have large capital outlays in the beginning for hardware and software licenses followed by years of maintenance support um, in the cloud much of that capital cost goes away as you move to a subscription model and so having people with the financial analysis skills to be able to compare those two is very important and then the other one that and i mentioned mirrors
1: the capex to opex it does ex- drive. exactly <laughs> it's, it's,
5: it, because of the capex to opex transition you need people who appreciate both and can do the comparative analysis and then the last one I wanted to mention of non-technical skills is vendor management. Is Federal agencies have to work very closely with their vendors in migrating to the cloud for a variety of reasons. Some software is licensed by CPU or licensed in various ways, so you need to get input from your vendor on, do I have the appropriate licenses to operate this in the cloud? And then there are technical considerations when you're working with your vendors as well. Most vendors will have best practice documentation, maybe even tools. But you need to have a good productive working relationship with your vendor in order to gain access to all of those tools. Okay, sure. sure. So.
3: On the workforce, uh, upskilling the workforce subjects, so we usually, look, I mean, I echo both Laura and Steve. On top of that, we also um, look for, like, I'm going to go layer by layer. The bottom row is like the IT, which is really providing services to the customers, we are looking for cloud architects, DevOps, cybersecurity, cloud native. These are really the, you know, the, the the meat of it, right, mm-hmm. that we look for. And in the middle, where really now we are going the customers, like right? people are using. Now, remember I talked about the platform services where we are really looking for people to do more self-service mm-hmm. uh, self, uh, capabilities. So that's where we're looking for people to use advanced skills to do their <laughs> own job better. That's like data mm-hmm. science, the robotic process automation, those kind of things. And then the people at the top who are really making decisions, right? You know, they're uh, looking at the IT investments, rationalizing the portfolio of those kind of things. They need to be educated on cloud and what kind of things it's bringing, how you go to the cloud, you start. It's really the uh, cloud uh, 101 that, that's very important that, at that point. So the layers, various layers, it kind of transforms, but these are the key significant.
1: And you mentioned self-service and RPA, and I was just talking to a CFO the other day Who is kind of the lead for RPA in his agency, and there are tools now where people can design their own robotic process automation with a little bit of training that are not traditionally software coders. Right, that seems to be a cloud feature that's coming in where people can move boxes around in a graphical user interface and create business processes. Is that what you meant?
3: Yeah, exactly. The two uh, focus areas in our foundation in the foundation right now. Is uh, educating uh, customers how to build their own robots. It's really a low-code solution where you know people don't have no have no clue about how uh, how to write software. They can use this uh, simple tool to build like a flowchart that eventually functions like a robot. The other thing is people who are sitting closer to data, the subject matter experts. They are traditionally not an IT people, but they know their data very well. And these are the people we are looking to educate on data science. How we can apply some of the Python or some of the algorithm skills, because they are the one who is gonna invent new algorithms that can be enabled back in our uh, services to add intelligence. So those are the two key things we are really after at this point.
1: All right, in the couple of minutes we have left, I just wanted to explore something that Steve had said earlier, and that is the notion of cloud providers, in a commercial sense and technical sense, cooperating with one another. And aside from the fact that they are always competing for contracts, they all have multiple customers, and they know that their customers are also customers of their competitors. And so is that something that you look for and try to emphasize when you're dealing and choosing with a cloud supplier, a cloud services provider? I want you to make sure that we can cooperate with you as cloud X, with cloud Y and Z. Is that a consideration? Does that come up?
5: Yeah, I think, so I would echo... The one comment I made, which you alluded to just a second ago, which was the cooperation across multiple vendors or multiple cloud providers. But in terms of choosing an actual cloud provider, um, you know there are five areas that we see federal agencies looking at. The first is the workloads themselves. Make sure that that cloud provider has the tools, has the infrastructure, has the people to handle your workloads, because the, that's not a foregone conclusion. So number one, look at your work. You look at your workloads. Number two. Investment protection, federal agencies have invested a lot of money in software licenses, in the skills of their people, in some cases in high performing hardware infrastructure. When you move to the cloud, make sure you don't lose that, you you, you want to be able to leverage your investments, not throw them away and have to buy that stuff all over again. The third area is service levels, is that when you move to the cloud, you are trusting that cloud service provider to deliver a quality of service to your end users part of that is availability and so you need to have service level agreements around availability but there are two other areas that are equally important performance and manageability and so as you're ter- as you're looking at server- as cloud service providers look at do they have SLAs or service level objectives around availability and performance and manageability the fourth area is hybrid cloud is that we're all going to be living in a hybrid cloud environment for multiple years. It could be three years, five years, ten years. That means multiple clouds and that means the coexistence of your cloud and something running in your, on data, in your on-premise data center. So as you are evaluating cloud providers, look at their support for a hybrid cloud model. Do they have solutions that run on-premise? Are there solutions in the cloud interoperable with what you have on-premise? That's very important. And then the the last area I mentioned is migration. And I alluded to this before, is that don't just assume that you can migrate your workloads to any cloud. Some are easier or harder than others. Some might actually not even be certified to run your workloads. And so look carefully at what migration tools, what migration services are available from each cloud provider, and do they match your requirements.
1: Okay, Uh, Laura, we'll give you the last 10 seconds. Sure. What, what do you want your whole cloud environment to look like a year from now?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I think if we could focus on anything in our cloud environment, it's really going to be automation. I think at many federal agencies, we've had great success in some spaces with pilots or initial projects, but we want this to be self-service across environments, services, applications. We want our end user to be able to spin things up quickly and to know that it's inherited key policies to allow us to feel very confident about security in the cloud. So really focusing on automation as we grow.
1: All right, we'll end on that note. Thank you all for a great discussion. My guests today, and I'd like to thank them again, are Laura Korup. Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Securities and Exchange Commission, Chesian Sivignanam, Chief Enterprise Architect at the National Science Foundation, Debbie Stevens as Deputy Chief Information Officer at U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and Steve Prescott, Executive Program Director for the Public Sector at Oracle. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and visit Oracle. Thank
0: you for listening to the panel discussion, The Journey to Delivering the Mission in the Cloud Part 2, sponsored by Oracle and Intel on Federal News Network.